Hello everyone and welcome back to Cricket Central. I've got the full crew with me today, Navod, Pearson and Ethan for the first time in a while actually. Um, and it's for a very special reason that Australia has won a test in India. Um, it seemed like it was going to be impossible. Um, but as the saying goes, from the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. And this is definitely true in this case. Uh, after embarrassing ourselves in Nagpur and being humiliated in Delhi, losing our captain um, in between tests and losing the toss of the third test, we served up a, even more of a Bunsen burner of a pitch. Um, but from the first ball of Indore, um, Australia looked a completely different team. Uh, we rolled through India for 109 um, in the first innings, but emotions were a bit mixed then um, as we, we lived in apprehension of what India's bowlers might do to us in our innings. But then Kawaja's 60 led the way. Uh, we managed 197. And then, of course, the GOAT, Gary Lyon, who took over 8 for 64. India only made 163. And all it took was Travis Head's beautiful 49 opening up again. Um, and we chased down 76 runs with ease. Ethan, well, we, we secure a place um, at the World Test Championship final now. Um, subject India to just their third defeat at home since 2013. And perhaps we rekindle the hope of tying uh, this series. Oh, it's a monumental result. First of all, to top the World Test Championship, but more impressively to beat India away. And I don't think anyone really saw this coming based off what happened in the first two tests. It seemed like going into the series, the Aussies were preparing for a rank turner. We were stumped by the fact that we didn't get it. And now we finally got the, the pitch that we were after, the two-day test match pitch. And I guess we showed the Indians how it was done. I, I like to consider this four-test series as two two-test series with the massive break in the middle. So we're currently winning 1-0 and on the track for a, a series sweep with Steve Smith at the helm. But it was a tremendously impressive performance. I, I was nervous even in the fourth innings when Kawaja ducked off to Ashwin, but it was a it was a great job with plenty of positive individual performances and with a stronger Australian team on the park than perhaps we've had with Head, Green and Stark all in the side. Yes, yeah, I think so. I, I do like your your ability to somehow pervert the uh, reality of it and make it so that we're currently up 1-0. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, that's for sure. And just to stay with you for a second, I thought it was almost the exact opposite of the first test in many ways. Obviously, Nathan Lyon struggling in the first test, um, and he was the the hero in this one. Travis Head not selected in the first test and was also played a, a crucial role. Um, do you sort of feel with those inclusions of Green um, as well and Stark that we've sort of worked out what to do, got the right team on the park now um, that, you know, well, not to jump ahead too quickly, but that we could still um, challenge in the second, well, the final test also. Yeah, I like the balance of the side now. I thought it was a brave decision to play three spinners, but it, it seems to have paid off dividends. And you mentioned in, in the first test, it was the Todd Murphy show and credit to the selectors for sticking with their faith in line. And then Kuhneman's come in and bagged an incredible five for 16. So it was a, a big decision to play three spinners, but I think they've all contributed very well. And Green adds to that balance on the side with 
the overs that he does bowl, albeit he bowled two overs for 14, so maybe he's not even required. But I I think there was a lot of positive changes in terms of selection made by the Aussies, and I think we've produced one of our strongest sides heading into this test, and clearly the three-spin strategies paid off well. Yeah, and I thought Green's 21 or 57 was one of the knocks of the the match, I'd have to say. Anyway, uh, moving on to Pearson now. Interesting sort of state of affairs in that in Sri Lanka, um, the the pitch that turned a lot, um, Australia won on, and the one that didn't turn as much, we um, got destroyed on. And sort of a similar thing here with the one that has turned the most, um, Australia's manages uh, to do the best on. Yeah, I, I would be honest, I don't think there is a trend there. I mean, it's not implausible that there's something happening, but I don't personally see it. I think you look at your performances elsewhere, your best results have generally, at least outside of Asia, been on flatter wickets. Of course, you beat Pakistan 1-0 in a three-test series on flat wickets. England, generally, you beat them when they're less spicy wickets. So it is... I would say probably not a huge trend, but it's worked out in your favour this time. I thought India bowled quite poorly, though, would be my reaction. I thought that second innings when you got the crucial, what, 88-run lead, I think it was, I was underwhelmed by the bowling performance. I thought there was a lot of inaccuracy, which is rare for their main three. So that might be what I'd blame it on. But, yeah, no, you've coped okay. There is... To go back to what I think Pune 2017, I want to say, sometimes you just have one good batting performance on a tough wicket and it carries you through a game. I look at Smith in 2017 as an obvious example. It was less clear this time. Maybe you could say Kawaja, but you outplayed them, I think it's fair to say. And they didn't seem to really recover from the, what, six or seven wickets they lost before lunch on day one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think on the on the turning pitches in Sri Lanka and India where we're expecting it to turn so much, perhaps when it doesn't turn, it there, there could be could be something there. But uh Navaj, um well just to to stick with Australia for a second, um it really was the the batting performance that even though we did still have a, a collapse of, of six for something in, in the, the tail water. The partnerships of Gwaja and Labashane and Smith for a while, and even even Green um, and Hanscom also uh, a stark difference to the first few tests. Yeah, definitely. I think those little partnerships are kind of kept annoying India, kind of kept you guys in the game. I think the benefit of, of bowling India out for such a low score was that these little partnerships could get you a, a sufficient lead that was was quite a task on this kind of deteriorating and, and turning pitch. So, yeah, definitely I think um, really impressive, especially Kawaja. I think he's the man in form uh, in, in these tests. He, he's a great player of spin. So, um, yeah, it's really fantastic to see, um, yeah, Kawaja especially thrive in these kind of conditions. Uh, interesting to see Travis Head, obviously, at the top of the order, with that kind of attacking way he uh, he bats, he did get I think forty something, I think forty one or something like that in the second uh, innings, chasing that that small lead. But um, yeah, it is um, it's an interesting balance. But I think it's it's working. You know, the puzzle pieces are finally settling in for Australia, especially in terms of the batting. I always thought the bowling uh, in the past three tests have all been you know pretty decent from from the spinners, especially Todd Murphy and Lyon uh, and Kuhneman this game. But uh, really, it was the batting that was was worrying and. 
There are still some worries. I mean, no one has really scored above 50 bar Kawaja um, at all, you know. So um, it's a bit concerning there, but um, ultimately I think the with everything falling into place, I think Australia have done pretty well here. And from, from India's side of things, what did you see as the, the big thing that went wrong? I think for me, it was sort of a reversal of like mind rolls, if that makes sense, from the last test, where where Australia sort of crumbled last test mentally, I thought, and just, you know, playing the slog sweep for everything. Here, India sort of just perished. They had a good opening stand with Rohit and, and Guild, and Guild kind of made a mistake coming at one that was sort of wasn't turning as much as he expected. Uh, and then it just seemed to repeat that sort of, you know, um, those sort of little errors that they're, you know, you're not normally used to seeing with India. Um, and I think, yeah, just really felt like a reversal of the sides from last test where India really struggled on the conditions and Australia just thrived. Um, yeah, Kuhneman, obviously, as you mentioned, and, and Lyon as well, um, just absolutely, you know, demolishing it, um, the Indian side. So, yeah, I thought from an Indian perspective, it was really just a, a collapse mentally, I think. And that's sort of what we saw with Australia in the second test. Yeah, definitely not what we expected, but does expose the fragility of their their batting lineup, which we sort of did did know a little bit when when Rohit and when you look at the series, obviously uh, Rohit uh, and the the tail enders have really been the the only ones who have who have done the done the job for them. Um, Ethan, just a bit on how good Nathan Lyon was, please. Um, Eleven wickets for the match. I think, uh, you know, after that first test, well, to be fair, I think you even may have been making a few calls that you would like to see Todd Murphy replace him. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely we were all sort of thinking, oh, maybe he can't can't do it this time. But, uh, well, he, he put those doubts uh, away once and for all. Yeah, I mean, his record in India certainly isn't as flash as you'd probably want it to be from your leading spinner but I think any questions the selectors had were put to bed after this performance and it's not every day that you see someone score five runs and then take more than double that in wickets with 11 wickets and (laughs) a a tremendous effort across two innings really highlighted by that eight for 64 in in the second innings and I, I think he's He's found the right areas and the pitch was conducive to the sort of turn that can really amplify his bowling. And thank, thankfully, the our fielding was, was pretty top, top class. Alex Carey was uh, a good support behind the stumps and the stars aligned on, on this performance. But, you know, it's, it's credit to the persistent nature that you, you typically expect from Nathan Lyon. He gets through a lot of overs. And he was able to bowl with good control across the test. And he's got a good cricketing brain and that's where the experience comes through. And he was able to read the pitch and and produce the results here, but certainly a monumental performance. It seems like when we do win tests in India, it just takes one bowler to really rip through them. Think back to Stephen O'Keefe last time that we managed to win a test. And thankfully the bowler that stood up largely was Nathan Lyon, well supported by the rest of the attack also. Yes, it was definitely a stunning performance. Um, and you say about his record in India, and um, yeah, I had always sort of thought the same that he, well, he has been outperformed by other 
Australian spinners uh, when we, we've come there in the past. But I was looking at his actual stats for India um, and he's got 53 wickets in 10 matches with an average of 26.06 now. Um, and midweek, I was comparing that to a few other bowlers um, around his time, um, such as uh, Rangana Herath, um, who, <laughs> sorry for the pronunciation, was hard. Um, and uh, he was actually um, significantly better than him. Graham Swan is another one I'm just looking at now, 28.96. Um, Swan's average was uh, played less matches there, only six matches. But um, he does actually, on stats now, match up pretty well. Um, and uh, when you look at look at his performances across all um, countries now, uh, Pakistan probably the only one where it, it dips a bit with an average of 45 um, with the ball. But all, all the rest, um, England, 31, 45 wickets. Uh, India, yeah, Australia, obviously, 31.46 as well. Uh, is there, can we perhaps say that, uh, you know, how, how is the battle at the moment between him and Ashwin in terms of the best bowler of uh, the generation? Or best spin bowler, sorry. It is it is a, a tough one because they're both so different, even though they're both the, the typical mm. off spinners, aren't they? I always find if you can get results outside the subcontinent as a spinner, I, I, I do find that more impressive. And uh, I guess now that Nathan Lyon's trying to, well, he's been able to branch out and really dominate in some other countries, I think that, that's got its value as well. Um, maybe if... Ashwin has had some success in Australia, but I'd typically associate him more with the handy three wicket holes rather than decimating the side with a seven for an eight for. So maybe Lyon's got his foot in front. I know in terms of total wickets, they seem to constantly be overlapping each other. And for yearly wickets as well, they're generally pretty tight. But I guess from a, a cricketing perspective, I reckon Ashwin is a lot more replaceable than someone like a Nathan Lyon is. And that might be due to the fact that India have got stocks until their C team. But arguably, Jadeja's outperformed Ashwin in a lot of the tests that we've seen. And whereas no one's really come close to doing what Nathan Lyon's done. And we saw sort of what, what happened to Schwepson, even when we bring him in on spin-friendly conditions. So I think it's bowling, spin bowling in Australia is a very, very hard hard art and to have the success that he's had around the world as well and now to translate and find success in the subcontinent maybe Lyon's got his nose in front well that's that's good to hear I'll, I'll pick it on to Pearson who I know has a different view but I'll just give the stats for Ashwin average of 20.87 with 330 wickets in India <laughs> obviously that's just ridiculous uh Australia though average of 42.15 with only 39 wickets there um, so that's sort of the comparison. Everywhere else, they're fairly similar. Um, obviously, Ashwin's never bowled in Pakistan um, in, in Test cricket, so we don't have that. But uh, Pearson, what do you say? Still, I would probably back Ashwin, but they're a different style of bowler. Depends what you're looking for. Ashwin is a wicket taker more so than Lion is, but if you want containment, you go Lion. 
There's a basic rule of thumb. I think they're both in the correct teams. If I'm Australia, I'd rather Lion. If I'm India, I'd rather Ashwin. So I think ultimately it has worked out. I would like to see stats on economy because I can't say that with absolute certainty, but I'm inclined to say Lion would lead on economy, at least between the two of them. Maybe not this series, of course, because he has just taken about 15 in a test. But I personally would go Ashwin, but that's potentially because he offers more of the bat. With the ball, it just comes down to conditions and what you need. Again, I think most of us would agree with this. I'd rather Ashwin in Asia. I'd rather line outside of Asia. And you go from there. I think there's an argument to be had that Ashwin is a touch closer to Lion outside of Asia than the other way. But even as recently as last year, we were seeing things like Ashwin getting dropped in four of the five England tests. So it is hard to compare at times. But yeah, ultimately, there's not enough in it really to pick one. But if I had to, I'd go Ashwin because I think he offers more to his all-round game. Sure. Yeah, surprisingly, with the economy rate, I just had a look. Ashwin's actually better with 2.78 compared to Lyon with, with 2.93. I would have never expected that. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, he has an economy of 2.7 in India, so that sort of keeps it down nice and low. The rest are a bit higher than that. Anyway, uh, Navad, um, well, we'll get your final view on it. Uh, Pearson says that he's not much of a wicket-taker, but I think he's forgotten he just took eight wickets in the innings. Um, so uh, he clearly has that in his arsenal um, as well. Um, where do you go on this uh, debate? It's a tricky debate um, because I'm, both are fantastic. They're the probably premier spinners of this kind of generation of cricket. But for me, I think it has to be Ashwin just because um, of that small bit that Pearson didn't really elaborate on. I think everything else, I, I, I pretty much agree with Pearson, but I think it's that batting ability that he has that just line really lacks, that he, he just brings a lot to the team. Now, you could say that Judeja also brings that as well, but I just think with how India played those first two tests, you really saw how much batting depth they really had. And Ashwin and Judeja were the ones who, who added that, and obviously Aksar Patel as well. But um. You just think like Ashwin's had such a long career and he's done so well as a as a sort of all-rounder as well as uh, bowling. It's just, um, it's kind of hard to ignore that batting aspect. So if I'm picking one of the two, I think I'm picking Ashwin. Who are you picking on bowling? Uh, on bowling, yeah, still Ashwin, I think. Okay. Yeah, I still I still think it's Ashwin, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's fair. That's a good point you make about the batting. Um, and yeah, very different bowlers. I guess Ashwin, definitely, if you had to say who's, sort of the most exciting spinner to watch. It would definitely be Ashwin by a fair margin. But Lyon, such a clever bowler, as, as Ethan said before, um, and, and just performed so consistently that he is uh, in, the, in that conversation um, at the very least. Um, okay, well, a couple more things to cover that I, I did have here. Um, well, just a bit more on, on um, India, Pearson. Um, that middle order, I mean, we've spoken about it before, Coley's struggles. We don't need to <laughs> go on about that again. But Pajara, obviously, um, the one sort of yeah, with his 59 did step up, but a few struggles um, through there. What needs to be done? Well, I know you did say we should avoid attacking Coley, but I, I am going to put it out there. 
their weakest middle of the batter of the last one, two, or three years, whichever metric you pick, is Colby now. He's not really scoring runs. And when your star player doesn't score runs, it doesn't rub off well on the rest of the middle order. The rest of the middle order, to some degree, can be excused. I'm counting Pujara's top order here. I think he's been okay. He's one of the few that I thought was actually shown a bit of fight in this side. Even though they did dominate the first two games, I did think they looked a bit brittle then in middle order as well. But then again, so does Australia, which is probably why they won the first two games. But no, I would lean, I think, towards not making too many changes. It was a difficult batting wicket, and they have just absolutely dominated the first two tests. So I wouldn't overdo this freak out. There's a chance you could fiddle with the order a touch. I know Ethan has some theories about where wicket keepers could bat and where all-rounders could bat. But ultimately, I think I'd probably leave it largely as is. I think Shreyas Iyer has scored runs. He's not great against the short ball, but he's hardly faced things here. So it, it's, a, it's a difficult one, but I think you've just got to stick with it. They're 2-1 up in a series. They've dominated two of the three games. They're tough batting pitches. I mean, no, no one on either side really has looked comfortable. Middle order, top order, except maybe Axel Patel batting at nine has looked comfortable, which is its own thing. But, yeah, I, I, I would caution against overreacting to middle order problems. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Uh, interesting thing I noticed um, in, in this match as well was, you know, we criticised the Australians a lot for confusing the length of the spinners uh, and going back to it. Um, I think there were nine wickets taken, a couple of Australians in there as well, but especially in the first innings, I know Shreyas Iyer himself um, got bowled by Kuhneman going back to one that was full and a couple others as well. So making similar mistakes, maybe as you say, this just to put it down to very tough pitch. Um, okay, Ethan, a controversial topic here that just want a couple of minutes on. Smith's captaincy uh, as against uh, Cummins. Uh, anything you notice that, or anything we can take away from the fact that uh, Smith is three and zero um, in the interim role uh, when he comes back into the into the uh, coach, uh, captaincy? Yeah, it's a good point. I'm not really sure I can put my finger on too many ideas. Um, I'm going to assume he doesn't have a, a massive role in terms of selection of the side, but. There, there does seem to be almost a weird rejuvenated energy that the Australians play with when Smith comes in. Maybe they sense the need to step up to the occasion, but I think Smith gets a lot right with his captaincy. And honestly, I think he runs some of the show as well when Cummins is there. So I don't think Cummins is really the, the downside to this. It's just perhaps a, a fluke of small sample size, but yeah, certainly when... Smith has been given the opportunity. He's done an immense job and almost inexplicably the team seems to rise in in the absence of the leader, almost similarly to how they'd prefer a langerless leadership with McDonald in charge in a more relaxed way. So maybe maybe we should go captainless in the future and see how that goes. <laughs> Oh no! Don't give him ideas, Ethan. They'll probably they'll probably actually do that sometimes. So, um, one aspect of um, uh, Steve Smith's captaincy, Navod, was um, 
there's interesting um, sort of gaming of the rules a little bit that some people uh, were talking about um, in, uh, well, it was more Alex Carey, to, to be fair, but um, stumping and appealing for stumpings um, in order to check the edges. Um, surprising amount of discussion about this because I, I, I don't think we actually ever got a wicket by doing this, did we? Or um, So I don't know what the real drama is, but uh, yeah, what, what did you think of that? Yeah, um, I I remember the commentators sort of talking about it. I thought it was kind of clever because, you know, going off last test where Australia lost all those reviews, they just burnt all the reviews um, basically immediately um, in that in that first day. So, yeah, by, by just appealing for a stumping and then getting the, the umpire uh, to, to check is, is sort of a little, little, tree, uh, little trick, I guess, uh, for, for the Australians. I'm, I don't know about whether, you know, it's sort of, ethical or moral you know you can have this debate we have this debate with the man cut as well you know always it always comes up but um yeah i don't know i really haven't really put too much thought into that i just thought it was, it was quite quite a clever little uh cheat from the from the australian i shouldn't say cheat but uh yeah fair cheat i'll say cheat um <laughs> so yeah i just thought it was, a, it was a kind of clever tactic but um yeah whether teams really you know sort of pick up on this and and fight this or or you know use them use it to their advantage is uh I don't think it'll happen. I don't think it's as as serious as something like not serious, but but uh, as uh, controversial as a man cat. I just think it's kind of clever tactics and um, yeah, a little bit of little bit of that. So yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure that'll really pick off like the man cat. Yeah, so and good to see that Smith's um, penchant for uh, you know bending the rules just a little bit hasn't uh, hasn't been <laughs> affected by his ban for uh, the ball tampering um, at all. So yeah, still finding creative ways to help out the team, which is which is great, yes. Uh, anyway, final uh, question is, can we expect uh, the same in the in the fourth test? We've got the bet with, with Pearson uh, that uh, I've got $50 on the line of Australia winning this uh, next test. Um, uh, can it happen, Pearson? And we it can. I'm not sure it will, is my reaction. I don't think they'll put the same pitch down again. I think it's too high risk to pick something where a collapse can just end the game in a session. But I think it will be a sort of 250 per pitch, maybe, as opposed to a 120 per pitch that we got. I I, I think India are favourites. Yes, there was a momentum swing, but I don't think it's massive I yeah I, I'll predict an India win but it could go either way and it will be competitive I think unlike this game it will go into day three and I think we'll actually make day four for once so hopefully we're in for a good test but India by about 100 runs okay yeah well as we were saying before that the nature of these pitches it's almost a so so random in a way and any side can happen it really if someone's able to to stand up like Kawaja did in this match um you know anything can happen or if Coley uh manages to refine some form the opposite could happen so it is you know there's definitely some real positives of uh the pitches that they have been preparing um Ethan um can I get a bit more of an optimistic take from you Look, I'm, I'm optimistic about our chances. I, this will test the Smith-Cummins hypothesis, so we'll see how Smith goes in this next test yeah. as well. But 
I mean, I've, I've heard all sorts of things about this pitch. One, one theory suggested that in preparation for the World Test Championship in England, they were going to produce a, a green seamer to test how their seam attack would go. So, I mean, that, that would be quite interesting. I think, I think Ravi Shastri suggested it, it will turn a little bit. So maybe a milder pitch, as Pearson suggested, with a, a slightly more higher expected total score. I'm, I'm sure they want the prime ministers to watch more than two days of the cricket, hopefully. Um, but I, I, I'd expect them to prepare a pitch that hopefully is ideally suited to Indian cricket. And honestly, I reckon that's something where you can hit, you know, 350, 400 on, because I don't think Australia can manage something like that. But maybe we'll get that 300 par pitch. I'm, I'm optimistic about our chances. I think that last innings chase of 78, just one wicket down, will will give us a bit of confidence heading into the next innings, uh, the next test match, sorry. And I, I, think, I think we'll be competitive, but maybe we'll, we'll get choked out in the later days. But my, my hope is on a, an upset Australian victory. Yes, well, it just makes all the difference that it's still possible for us to do it now. That, that was a crucial, really crucial victory. And going to the Narendra Modi Stadium, I think the biggest ground in the world, at least the biggest cricket ground, hopefully a big crowd there. Should be a big event. Navod, you have the, the final word, Australia or India in the final test. I think I'm going to go with India. Um, I mean, I've been saying India for every prediction, and I think I'm going to stick with my guns here. I think after losing, yeah, after losing the tests uh, that they did uh, in, in the third way, in the third test, um, I think India will be sort of cautious about preparing uh, a sort of pitch that might favour the Australians just to preserve, you know, the, this test series win. Um, there were a lot of criticisms I, I saw, on, uh, especially on cricket Twitter, about the pitch and how it wasn't really a, a good quality pitch, um, namely how it just crumbled and, you know, the, all the cracks and just how it did look really bad. I, I remember the, the commentary, you know, going over the pitch and it was just like pebbles and little stones kind of everywhere. It was really, really bad. But, I mean, you, you kind of expect that in India, but... Seeing how India struggled on those kind of conditions, I think India may want to because I, I don't know. Have they? They haven't qualified yet, have they, for the championship? Not, not officially. Yes. I think. No. Yeah, I don't official. I don't think they're officially no. qualified, but Australia no. have. So I think to really just to make sure that they have those wins under their belt, I think India might go with more cautious approach and prepare a pitch that more suits their conditions, especially um, like like those uh, of the first and second tests. So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but I think it'll be India um, that will win this last test. Yeah, yeah, of course you would know that uh, India aren't guaranteed yet because if Sri Lanka, as Ethan's just um, reminded us, if Sri Lanka sweep New Zealand, um, they can go through and it'll be a Australia-Sri Lanka World Test Championship final, which would be quite, uh, well, unexpected really for, for Sri Lanka to go through. But um, anyway, um, yes, that does bring us to an end for today. Thank you guys. Uh, well, everyone else is burst out laughing um, now so uh, yeah good time to end the podcast I think thank you all for listening um, yep go the Aussies for that for the final test I'm very confident um, yeah I won't be uh, giving any $50 out anytime soon so yeah that will all be good um, but anyway goodbye for now